I'm Carson Horn, and it's Wednesday at 10, which means it's time for Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper and let's get rolling. Welcome into Talking Tumors on this last Wednesday in the month of March. Crazy to think that we are almost to April now. We've been doing this show since August. Thank you all for, for tuning in today, whether you're listening live or on podcast. As the intro said, I am Carson. You are listening to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. You know, yesterday I'm finishing up classes and uh, walked past uh, Jalen Williams uh, outside Haley Center, and then uh, I'm making my way to the rec center to uh, get a workout in and you know, as I'm on my way, you know, and as, after walking past Jalen, you know, I'm starting to think to myself, you know, off-season workouts have now started for Auburn basketball, and the the meetings, I believe, have, have finished up between coaches and players. It's, it's about time for, for, for some announcements, some decisions to be made on, on if guys are going to be entering the transfer portal, if they're going to be returning. I, I'm surprised we're seeing it with a lot of other schools. Why hasn't that happened yet uh, with Auburn? Well, sure enough, I, I, I get on the uh, stair stepper that I do, and boom, news breaks. Johan Treor announces he's entering, uh, planning to enter the transfer portal. A few minutes later, boom, Chance Westry announces that he plans to enter the transfer portal. Or he didn't announce it, it was um, reported by others. Either way, though, in a flash, just like that, We've got news, and we've got things to talk about here today. What did those two guys leaving mean for this Auburn team and this roster? And are there going to be more guys to follow? I think there might be. So let's dive into that now. We've got that to talk about. We've got uh, Hugh Freeze to talk about some of his comments that he's made to the press that I think are pretty eye-opening, as well as Auburn baseball. So we've got plenty to discuss here on this show, but starting with Chance and Johan Treor deciding to uh, put their names in the transfer portal. I don't believe either have officially entered yet, but they both plan to, uh, according to multiple uh, different reports here. And Johan, you got it from him uh, straight on social media. I'm going to start with Johan first, and then I'll talk about Chance. So Johan Treor was a five-star forward that came in this class late. If you remember, if you follow recruiting at all, he, he was um, committed to LSU, signed with LSU, but when the Will Wade, everything went down with him, they allowed him to be released from his letter of intent. Auburn came back in, got back involved there, and signed him. Extremely talented athlete, extremely talented athlete, but has not played basketball for long. And you can see that, very, very raw, was never able to, to find his home and really be a big contributor this year. He really needed to be more of a, a five because of his uh, skill set currently. But Auburn needed a backup four, so uh, they were trying to play him there. Uh, he wasn't a great shooter; worked hard on that, but just wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't very good to, to put it to put it frank. Uh, but still, there's a lot of talent there, and he can still be developed and can turn into a very solid player, a chance someone who has a chance to go to the next level eventually. Um, so. It would have been nice for him to have stayed in the program. However, I, I, I said a while back, because it, 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 you can kind of read the tea leaves here, that he was more than likely going to leave with the fact that Janai Broom and Jalen Williams are both likely to return, meaning there's not really a spot for him to play a bunch of minutes again next year. So unless he was okay with being a backup, 
then it was more than likely he was going to leave. And, and my thoughts were, if he stays, great. Let's you know continue to try to develop him and see if we can, you know, this staff can not me not me developing, but this, this, if this staff can get him to a higher level, then wonderful. But if he leaves, you know, oh well, we'll, we'll bring in somebody else from the transfer portal. That would be my thought if I'm this Auburn, Auburn coaching staff here on, on Treyor, and I really do think that's how they thought. It doesn't mean that they wanted him to leave, but also they're. You know, they're not freaking out over him leaving. Chance Westry, on the other hand, is a different story. The staff did not want him to leave, and this one hurt. I, I've been a big Chance fan. As you listen to my previews back at the beginning of the season, I, I hyped up Chance Westry quite a bit. And if you thought I hyped him up a lot before this past season, I was ready to do it again for this upcoming season. And maybe, you know, asking, who, who in the world is Chance if you, you know, started watching just in conference play? Well, Chance Westry was a four fringe five-star uh, guard that Auburn signed in last year's recruiting class. He was one of the best guards. This is Bruce Pearl's words, not mine. Uh, Auburn thought during the offseason and when they were in Israel playing, he had a knee issue. He had surgery on it, tried to come back, and just wasn't the same player. He, he, he was not very good in the little bit that he got to play there in non-conference, so Auburn decided to redshirt him this year, decided not to play him, let's get him back full speed, let's develop him some more, and let's see what happens this upcoming season. Well, unfortunately for the Auburn coaching staff who put in a lot of work with him, not going to get to see the results that you, that, that you wanted to see uh, possibly from him, at least not at Auburn. Now, all this work that Auburn has put into him may uh, pay off for him elsewhere because uh, as he's uh, planning to enter the transfer portal. So th- this one hurt, and there a couple of reasons. One, he's a guy who can play multiple different positions. He has great size, uh, a good defender, and his shooting was lacking, but I think that was going to improve. He he was just someone who was going to give you a lot of options in the backcourt uh, for Auburn. Uh, at a bigger guard, something that Auburn lacked, he could also play all the way up to the three uh, position. He was probably going to get a lot of minutes, but he probably was not going to be a starter again, and that's my guess of why he's looking elsewhere. But I and I do believe this this was a little bit of shock to the staff. I don't think they were expecting him to leave. Again, both guys, both Chance and Treyor said they were staying. That's why you can't put much stock into what guys say, especially around the NCAA tournament where the season is still ongoing. Uh, they're they're not going to say they're leaving in the middle of the season, so. I mean, what what are what are they supposed to say? I mean, they they have to say that they're that they're staying unless they want to not be a part of the team for the end of the season. But with with that, I, I do think it is surprising that that Chance left, and I do think it was surprising uh, to the staff. So as far as the roster goes right now, that op- opens up more spots. So we've now got three guys that we know of that are outgoing. I I expect there to be some more. I don't know how how many more. Again, we've talked about guys who could still possibly leave. Alan Flanagan, even Wendell Green, Katie Johnson, um, you know, Chris Moore, uh, Stretch Ockingbo. I mean, literally everyone, I think, besides Jalen and Janai are, are possibilities to leave. I don't think all of them will, but they certainly all could if, if they decide to do so. Um, so I'm anxious about this roster, but you gotta you got to trust uh, Bruce Pearl and this staff to put together a talented roster. They will. It doesn't mean they're going to get everybody they want in the transfer portal, that they'll win every recruiting battle out there. But they're going to win enough to, to put a competitive, and I'd argue 
an even better roster together for next season. But I, I am a little bit surprised. I do think there's going to be more attrition than I initially expected there would be. Now, you can't have it both ways because I know there's a lot of Auburn fans out there that this isn't a championship roster, including myself. And then when guys start to leave, then you get all upset about it. Can't have it both ways. You can't complain that this roster wasn't to the level that you want it to be at. And then when guys start to leave, be like, oh, well, I didn't want that. Can't pick and choose, unfortunately. Uh, it, the, and I'm not saying the staff forced these guys out, but you can't complain about the team not being good enough and get upset when everybody leaves. Because um, there will be plenty plenty of folks that will be that way. And, and, and I have to watch it myself because I'm you know, saying I'm anxious and upset about some of these guys leaving, but I've also been one that has said this roster wasn't uh, to the level that it needs to be to compete for championships uh, this past season, in, in my opinion. So with that being said, what is your ideal roster or starting lineup at least next season uh, for Auburn? For me, it, it, it is four out of the same five from last year. I know Aiden Holloway's coming in. I understand there's going to be a push for him to start, and he certainly could possibly get to that point, but I don't want to put that pressure on him as a, as a uh, true freshman coming in. So I like Wendell Green still at point guard. I know there's a lot of um, frustrations with Wendell, but I still think he's your best bet at point guard next season. I want to transfer to someone who can really shoot, who can really score the basketball. Uh, I think if you have a a really good two guard that also has a little bit of size, I think that makes Wendell Green a lot better because it takes some pressure off of him. He's had so much pressure on him because of the lack of offensive production from the two position. Uh, I think a really good two-guard will help him out and make Wendell Green a lot better of a player. So a really solid transfer to here. At the three, ideal situation, Alan Flanagan returns for his fifth year. Personally, I, I don't really see that happening. I think I think Flanagan's going to move on. I think you may get a decision as soon as today or this week. Uh, maybe not, but that's kind of just my thoughts on him. Again, there's going to be information flowing by the time you listen to this uh, show. There may have been more news coming out about this basketball roster. At the four, Jalen Williams. I don't think anyone's arguing that. Great producer for Auburn in this past season and in his, in his whole career. I do expect him to be back. He and Janai Broom at the four and the five. That's what I like to finish out this front court in what could be one of the best front courts in the SEC next season and both those guys return as is expected both may test the NBA draft waters but I don't think either will get a good enough grade to convince them not to come back as far as the backups go I do believe Trey Donaldson is going to return and be the backup point guard yes Aiden Holloway can also play point guard I like him more as a backup two guard here but with someone who could play the one if needed and again if Wendell Green ends up deciding to leave then Aiden Holloway probably does uh, have to play the one next season. But I like him more as a backup, too. And you ask, well, why why don't why don't you start him at the two? I don't necessarily love the idea of Wendell and Aiden being on the court at the same time for a lot of minutes. Not saying you couldn't do it some, but I would worry about the defense and the lack of size there. And you say, well, I mean, we had Wendell and KD and Wendell and Zepp. Neither were very were very tall, yes, but at least KD and Zepp were around six feet tall. Both Aiden and Wendell are under six feet, and Zepp and KD are both uh, tremendous defenders, and they were able to make up for their size a little bit 
because of that. That's not necessarily the case with Aiden Holloway, a great score, a better score than both those two guys I just mentioned. But I would have some hesitancy putting them on the court at the same time, uh, at least for a lot of minutes. So that's why I have him more as a backup two. And then for backup three, I want to transfer backup three. I want to transfer backup four. Both I want two guys who both can bring you some offensive production, uh, some shooting production there at both those positions. Um, and then, of course, Dylan Cardwell, very solid backup five there. That's what I'm kind of thinking. As your, that's your 10 players. Extra bench, if Chris Moore and Leor Berman decide to return, uh, maybe you bring in another uh, transfer as well. Uh, we'll see to get up to the 13 scholarships that, that you can have uh, on this team. But that that's kind of if I'm picking ideal scenarios uh, right now. I'm not mentioning any particular names in the transfer portal quite yet that I'd like to see Auburn add. And that's just kind of an ideal thought. If It's not necessarily what I think is going to happen because, like I said, I believe Alan Flanagan is going to move on. That's just pure speculation on my end. But if he does, then I'm thinking I want to transfer two and a transfer three in the uh, starting rotation uh, next season. Uh, so we'll see how all that turns out. That's an ideal scenario for as far as lineup goes uh, for me. And you're saying, well, that's only one change in the starting rotation from last year. And you're complaining about the roster not being as talented as it needed to be. Yeah, you're right. But as you add, add Aiden Holloway in, who's going to add offensive production, that already improves your roster just as is without any transfer. You add in a couple of transfers that, uh, that can shoot a little bit as well and add some depth there. And then you add in a really good two-guard that can really score the basketball. That improves your roster more than you might think. You don't have to get rid of everybody and replace everybody for the roster to get to a higher level. Just a few changes in here that, that I just mentioned I believe really can elevate this roster to a, a, a championship level again this next season. But with that being said, it looks like the way things are trending right now, there's going to be more changes than maybe we anticipated. And there could be changes even on the coaching staff. Uh, we'll see, especially if Alan Flanagan does move on. Does his dad, Wes Flanagan, also uh, look elsewhere for some coaching opportunities? It'll be interesting to see. Again, we're going to know a lot more here within these next few days, within this next week, within the next couple weeks. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll talk plenty more basketball, roster movements, offseason movements moving forward uh, on the show. Uh, but with that, we'll head to our our first break. And when we could talk in tumors now here on Weagle 91.1, as we begin our talk about Auburn football this week, something that stood out to me throughout Hugh Freeze's press conferences so far during spring practice is his honesty. Uh, and, and maybe that's just because Brian Harson was a closed book and we didn't get hardly anything out of him. He wasn't nice. He wasn't friendly. And you don't have to be as a coach, and you don't have to be an open book, but it is refreshing to get honest answers and not coach speak uh, from from Hugh Freeze. Uh, so I want to uh, read this quote to you because he's he's been honest about everything uh, from the quarterback battle to to the roster. Um, but what do we make of that? So I want to I want to read uh, this quote from Hugh Freeze, and then I'll talk about my kind of thoughts on on why we, we're getting this this type of honesty from the head football coach of Auburn. We have a ways to go to close the talent gap. This is in a uh, quote to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. I know how that comes across, and it's probably hurtful for some to hear in the locker room. 
but that doesn't mean I don't care about them. We're going to coach the heck out of them. They are ours. The truth is, from just from watching workouts, we don't have the SEC-type depth right now that some of the others are playing with for whatever reason. Wow. It, it, you're, you're rarely going to hear a coach essentially say, yeah, we're not that good. Uh, and as as an Auburn fan, you're like, man, you know that it's tough to hear. It gets you down. You want to be hearing we're the we're the best, man. We've got these players are so good. Like, Hugh Freeze also isn't saying that we're terrible. We're, we can only win three games next year. But he he is saying we're not to the level a championship level yet. We're not to the LSU, the Alabama, the Georgia roster level. And he even named some of those teams and 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 other quotes. But what, why? why? Why say those things? Why not be positive about it? Why not say we, we've got a really good roster and you know we're going to compete for championships uh, in year one? What, for starters, I think it is to tamper expectations a little bit. To say, look, we, we to, to fans, yes, I want to win and I'm going to do everything I can to win as many games in year one as possible. But you can't just expect me to come in here and be as good as Alabama and be as good as Georgia in year one. That doesn't mean I'm not going to do everything I can to pull off an upset against those schools this year. But it takes time to build a program to have the talent that they do, the caliber of players that they, that they do, the depth at the uh, positions that you need to have major depth at like they do. It's going to take time. I think that's number one. Number two, I think it is to to challenge the players that are currently there. It's not to not them. It's to, to say, look, you know, we're not where we need to be, uh, so I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But it but it can also be taken to put a little chip on their shoulder. Try to say, okay, you, you know, you don't think we're, we're uh, as talented as uh, we need to be? Okay, we'll, we'll show you off. And, you know, some of them may get offended by that, and he said that. But I think that's another reason. I think the tampering, the expectations – is the uh, biggest reason. I, I also think it is a little bit of a, a recruiting tool as well to, to guys that are, that are out there when, when they hear this, say, okay, I can come in there and, and I, can, uh, I can play possibly immediately. I think it works in, in that way as well. Then also the honesty is to show like he knows where this program needs to get to. The question is, can he get there? Knowing it and doing it is one thing. Another quote uh, he had, and I'm paraphrasing on this one, is he said, if I don't have a top 10 class or around a top 10 class in these next two cycles, I'll probably be out of here in four years. Wow. I mean, that's blatant honesty. And and I love it. I, I, I absolutely love it. Again, knowing it, doing it, two different things, but not to spend too much time on the previous head coach. I don't. I don't think he knew it. He. I, I don't think he didn't understand the importance of recruiting. So it is refreshing that Hugh Freeze understands this, and he understands where this team and this roster needs to get. He believes that he can get this this Auburn program to the level that Auburn wants to get to, and I believe it can. I believe. Uh, that he believes it, and I believe that Auburn can get to where he believes it can get to. But can, will he get it done? That's a whole nother question, and that's not something we're going to be able to answer in year one. He's just laying it out there. He's being honest with where he wants this program to get to and where it's at right now, and I really appreciate that. 
from Hugh, from Hugh Freeze. It'll be interesting to see if he keeps that type of honesty and on, on situations moving forward in, in, for instance, like post-game press conferences and, and so forth and so on. But as far as talking about the program as a whole, he is being blatantly honest about where it's at at the moment. And that goes as well for the quarterback situation. And, and, and the current roster situation of other position battles. The wide receivers and quarterbacks, I think he's been very, very honest about. Uh, at receiver, you know, he, he's been fairly disappointed, uh, it sounds like, as far as they're not where they need to be. I, I, I don't know if disappointed is maybe too strong of a word, but not as happy, I guess, as, as you would ho- as you hoped uh, that this receiver room will be at. And the same goes for, for quarterbacks. They've had a slowdown. Uh, the way they've done done the installment of the offense because of both the receivers and the quarterbacks because of alignment. This this RPO system that they're implementing is the typical spread system that you see throughout college football. But you got to remember, pretty much all these players. There's a few in there that were uh, part of the spread a spread offense, but most were running a pro style offense with Mike Bobo and Brian Harson, and then Brian Harson and Eric Keysaw. And so this is completely new to them. This this RPO s- system and so much has to do with with your alignment and the timing of things and where your eyes are supposed to be. There's a lot that you can get into that I'm not even smart. I'm, I'm not really smart enough to talk about, so I'm not going to try to. But suffice to say, it's difficult. And, and it and these for some, someone these players who have never really learned the system is challenging. And they're struggling. It's going slower than the coaching staff would like, and so I think that's been frustrating for as far as the as far as the receivers have gone and the quarterbacks have gone. That they're not further along. Does that mean they're not talented enough to do it? I don't think that's the case. I, I think just the the coaching that they've gotten has been poor in these past couple of years, and they're not familiar with the system. That's receivers. Quarterbacks, on the other hand. They, they, quite frankly, may not be good enough to run, to run this system. We'll see. Uh, Holden Gurner was uh, who I want to get to. He's gotten the praise this past week. If you've been paying attention from Hugh Freeze, uh, when asked who stood out to him on Monday, he said Holden Gurner was that guy uh, for Auburn. He talked about Robbie Ashford. Robbie Ashford had a really good practice the previous Monday, and then he had some uh, shoulder soreness that flared up again. Uh, but Holden had a really good week and even got to run some ones, uh, at least during the media viewing period, uh, at Monday's practice. I think for Auburn fans, that's a good thing to hear. He is someone that I, I like a lot. Uh, I was hoping that he would make more noise, and so far in the quarterback battle, he had really not up until this point. But it seems that he's doing better now. Maybe he's he's catching on to what the staff wants to do. As far as the RPO goes and understanding the system, I think Hugh Freeze really hit on that. He is understanding uh, the system better now. And he everybody knows he's a great passer. There's no doubt about that. He's got a great arm, uh, probably the best arm in the quarterback room. Brian Harson said he was the best passer last season. But there's more to it than just being able to throw a football very well. But does he have a legitimate shot at winning this quarterback job? I honestly, I think he does. I wouldn't say that I'd pick him to be the guy right now coming out of spring, but I really do think he has a legitimate shot, whereas a few weeks ago, at the beginning of spring, after the first week or so, I probably would not have said that. 
But I don't think this is just coach speak because of some of the other things Hugh Freeze has said. Uh, we're, just, we're worried about holding transferring, for instance, or something like that. So I'm going to say that he's doing really well, making him feel good. No, I, I really don't. I think Hugh Freeze is being honest here that he likes uh, what he's seen so far from uh, Holden Gurner, and he's excited about uh, the, the possibility of him still winning the job, at least coming out of spring. With all that being said, I'm not changing my prediction. I still believe that there's going to be a transfer quarterback that, that is brought in and that will be the starter in the fall. But there is a chance that Holden Gurner could be the leader uh, going into fall camp if he comes out of spring as the number one guy. Something to watch there. Speaking of transfer quarterbacks, that was another thing that Hugh Freeze said in his interview with Ross Sillinger of Sports Illustrated. He, he was quite frank that said, yeah, we tried to bring in uh, a quarterback in the transfer portal during the winter period. One guy, and this is he said, he said this, not me, one guy we couldn't get into the school. I can tell you who that one guy was. That was Grayson McCall, the Coastal Carolina uh, quarterback. It was widely known that he wanted to come to Auburn, uh, but he, whatever it was with the academics and with Auburn, he wasn't able to get into uh, Auburn. Will that change? Will he re-enter the portal in spring, after spring, and have things been resolved there? I don't know. have no clue. The other one was Devin Leary. He en- ended up going to Kentucky. Kentucky had forged that relationship a little bit sooner uh, there, and also Kentucky had Will Levis that they could advertise. Yes, you freeze have Malik Willis, but Will Levis a little bit uh, more recent uh, there, so they were able to uh, they were able to get him. That was a that was a recruiting loss. McCall wasn't a loss; that was just an unfortunate circumstance. The Devin Leary situ- situation was a loss, but I was I was honestly surprised that Hugh Freeze even admitted that. That saying, "Look, yeah, we we got beat on a guy here. We tried to get a guy here, didn't happen. So we've got what we got essentially." Uh, so it it really is amazing just his honesty as far as the program. Uh, is going at the moment. Um, But real quick before we close out uh, this segment here, I want to talk about two freshmen that the coaching staff is high on and that I believe uh, will contribute this year and the coaching staff believes will contribute this year. That's Connor Liu, the offensive lineman, uh, three-star, severely underrated because he has been running with the one some, especially when Tate Johnson, who's returned from injury now, was out with an injury. Connor Liu got some first-team reps at guard. He's getting backup center reps and and some guard reps, so he can play center or guard. Does not look like someone who should still be in high school. He is someone who will absolutely contribute this year, and uh, I'm excited about his future. He is going to be a multi-year starter uh, for Auburn, uh, assuming he stays healthy. Uh, and I was high on him coming in, and so I'm also glad that he, he's proved me right there. And then you've got Kay and Lee, the four-star defensive back out of Cedar Grove, Georgia. He is also someone who's going to contribute at the defensive back position this year. I don't know if he'll start, but he'll definitely uh, will play meaningful snaps this year for Auburn. Very excited about those two guys. I don't think those will be the only freshmen that play this year, but those are two that have stood out so far. Keldrick Falk also will, will get playing time this year, but I think those two were mentioned, I believe, by Hugh Freeze or some of the other coaches on the staff as players who could play and be big-time contributors as, fresh, as freshmen. Personally, I would just add Keldrick Falk in, the, in there as well. 
All right, that'll close us out for this segment. When we come back, uh, we will dive into Auburn baseball. And That's two men, two X.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Talking Tumors Now here on Weagle 91.1 as we shift our focus to Auburn baseball, who 10-run ruled North Alabama last night in their midweek game. What an outing from Drew Nelson, who threw all seven innings of that 10-run rule game. Great to see from the freshman, you know, who had struggled a little bit early on in the season, but his last two starts uh, at Riverwalk uh, last week against South Alabama and then this week against North Alabama have been very solid. Maybe he works his way back into the weekend. Maybe he's figured some things out. Again, extremely talented judge, but still just a young freshman. But great to see that from him. And Ike Irish had a huge night, had four hits, and uh, Auburn stomped North Alabama. And that's coming off a series win against Georgia. Of course, last week when we were talking, they were coming off getting swept by Arkansas. But Arkansas and LSU have seemingly separated themselves from the pack in the SEC West, at least, it looks like so far this season. LSU, the number one team in the country. Uh, both Ole Miss and Mississippi State both got back-to-back sweeps uh, or swept in back-to-back series to start the season. Um, so really shocking for the two teams that have gone back-to-back as the national champions in college baseball. That just goes to show you how good the SEC is in baseball and how challenging it is going to be in conference play this season. But just to recap this Georgia series, now Auburn did drop the third game in quite an embarrassing score. They ended up losing around 24-7. to I want to say, quite frankly, they ran out of pitching. They got down big in that game. They came back, got it within one, and then everything just broke loose there in the eighth inning. Uh, I was at that game. It was insane uh, the way the way uh, Georgia turned it on there and Auburn, again, just straight ran out of pitching. Guys that had not really thrown much, if any at all, this year had to throw, and it didn't go well. But still got the series win. That was the most important thing. So look, looking back at it, I think the, the biggest takeaways were the comeback wins. So it was a comeback win in Game 1 and Game 2. Game 1 went to uh, it went into extras. Auburn won it on a walk-off walk in the 11th inning against Georgia. And in Game 2, they came back from behind to win. That's important, and it's great that you're at home and you're able to do that, but that's important, especially when you're coming off a sweep and you talk about getting down in game one at home uh, to your next opponent coming off a, a sweep the previous weekend in conference play. That can be that can mess with your spirit and get, get you down, and the team didn't let it do that to them. They responded. They fought back, and they found a way to get a win in game one in extras late at night and then come back in game two and get another win after falling behind yet again. Uh, that's impressive. That shows a team that's not going to let much get to them, that, a team that is meant to battle, and that's going to pay dividends down the road, I believe, uh, for this team, especially with how difficult conference play is. You can't let big losses, you can't let sweeps, you can't let things like that get to you in an ultra-competitive uh, SEC. So that was good to see from this team. As far as series standouts, uh, standouts this past from this past series, I thought Bryson Ware, he's on a tear this year. He is playing some phenomenal baseball. He is tearing it up at the plate. Had another great series. 
you know, he he was a solid player last year, but he wasn't anything special. But man, has he been something to uh, watch this, so far this season? Auburn certainly needs him to keep that going uh, in this lineup. Caden Green, I thought, had a really uh, great weekend at the plate. Someone who's been an average hitter, you know, second baseman for Auburn, but hasn't really done anything special. But he had a home run uh, in game one. Just overall had a solid series at the plate. So really good uh, to see from him. And uh, maybe he can keep that going moving forward for Auburn and add a little bit more uh, pop to this lineup. I thought another thing that was good, I thought Game 2 pitching actually uh, went well, went back to this uh, Tanner Bauman and Chase Alsup kind of uh, those two piggybacking each other, you know, for a while. It was Alsup and then Bauman, but now Auburn has flipped it and went uh, to going Bauman as the starter and Alsup in relief, and it, it went well this time. It had done okay, and then it and gone through a couple of rough patches, but I think that the staff is ultimately probably going to end up sticking with this uh, this rotation. I, I don't know if it'll be game two every time around. I think there will continue to be some uh, mixing and matching on how they do the starters and on what on what days and what games. Typically, Auburn goes ahead and announces the, the starting pitching, usually around the time of uh, my show for the weekend rotation. They haven't done that yet, but I'll keep an eye out on that to see what what day Tanner Bauman starts, if he is starting again. Because you know whatever day that is, you're going to get Chase Alsup in relief. And then John Armstrong and Chase Isbell close the game out for Auburn uh, in relief. So that worked out well. Game three, unfortunately, did not go well for Zach Crotchfeld. He had a rough, rough outing. With that being said, he has been one of the more consistent uh, pitchers and really been your only consistent starter throughout this whole season once he came into that uh, role after Drew Nelson got it for the first couple of weekends uh, for Auburn. So I'm giving him a pass, just a tough outing uh, there for him. I look for him to bounce back, certainly hope that he does. I'm very high on, on Zach. I like him a lot. So I hope that he he bounces back uh, from this rough outing. But if he doesn't, the way Drew Nelson is pitching, you could certainly see Things start to change a little bit there, and we'll see if Drew Nelson slides back into that role. But Auburn's got to find some consistency in this weekend rotation with uh, Joseph Gonzalez continuing uh, to be out for Auburn. That's, again, as we talk about every week, is a is a big loss, no doubt. Overall, the hitting in this series was much better. No, Georgia is not Arkansas. They're not LSU. But it's still good to see this this lineup, I believe, can still be competitive against top teams. I think it's built to compete against top teams. I think this is a very, very good lineup. But they struggled against top pitching. How will they respond against other top pitching in the SEC remains to be determined. But to see them be able to score a lot of runs against other SEC teams, teams they should score a lot of runs against, was good to see. And to see hitting one through nine, again, someone like Caden Green, who hits at the bottom of the lineup, but has a big series, is a positive step uh, for this team. As far as pitching goes, as I just mentioned, I'm still concerned about the starting rotation, still a little bit concerned even with the bullpen, but it is what it is. You, you got make, to make ends meet right now. It's a tough situation as far as your health goes, and uh, Auburn's doing the best they can. And, and mentioning health, this team is getting healthier. Uh, last night, Cooper McMurray, for the first time, 
played first base again. He pinched hit this past weekend, but he had not played in the field. He played first base last night. That is a good sign that this team is pretty much back to full strength as far as position players goes. Uh, go, Of course, Joseph Gonzalez is still out, as I just mentioned. But um, Bobby Pierce has not yet uh, gone back to the outfield. He has still been DHing uh, at the moment. We'll see if he's able to make a return to the outfield this weekend. But nonetheless, having his bat in the lineup is important. Another thing I liked is Cooper McMurray pinched hit in Game 3. When he did that, Ike Irish moved from first base um, to catcher. So I guess, excuse me, I did say McMurray had not played the field yet. He did this weekend, but not a full game. He, He came in later on. But when they did that, they moved Ike Irish to catcher, and we had not seen Ike Irish at catcher much at all this season, so that was good to see. We'll see if Auburn uh, exploits that. Nate LaRue is so good defensively, but man, he has been struggling so, so much still at the plate. So we'll see what Auburn does there. If they toy with that idea of, uh, of Ike Irish sticking him back there at catcher, again, that is his true position, although he has been playing some first base. So I'm in, I am interested to see if Butch Thompson uh, tinkers with the lineup anymore. Um, but I thought that was interesting to see uh, Ike Irish move to catcher this past weekend. As far as this weekend goes, Auburn takes on Florida at Florida. Florida is 22-4, and 5-1 and one in the SEC. Their one loss came to Alabama in the opening weekend series. They won that series against Alabama, but did drop one. They're coming off a sweep against Ole Miss. This is going to be a tough series. I, again, I'm not going to go deep dive preview, but just based on what we've seen so far from Florida, having to go down to Gainesville, Auburn's got to do their best to avoid another road sweep, though. They've got to try to make this game, uh, this series competitive and uh, try to at least split the first two games and give themselves a chance in Game 3. Hopefully they can do that, uh, but we'll see, we'll see uh, what happens there. Again, I'll be interested to see what this weekend rotation looks like and what those these possible lineups uh, look like. As far as elsewhere in uh, Auburn sports, Auburn softball got a sweep over Missouri this past weekend. Uh, great for them. Uh, Maddie Pinto is an absolutely incredible uh, pitcher. She pitched two games in that series. was a big reason Auburn softball was able to come up with the win. And as I mentioned last week, Auburn Gymnastics is heading to UCLA uh, to take on uh, UCLA and multiple other programs for the regional championship today and the rest of this week. They will look uh, to return to the national championship like they did last year. Not going to be an easy challenge. We'll, we'll see. I'm not sure if Suni Lee is going to be back or not uh, for the Tigers. Uh, they are certainly hope that she is able to compete if she is healthy again. But we'll see. So they'll be heading out there. So be tuned in to see what Auburn Gymnastics does this weekend. But with that being said, we'll head to our final break. When we come back, we're going to do a hot topic of the week, something that we did ah, probably months ago now that I wanted to do consistently, but we've had so much Auburn uh, news to talk about, and that's that's not a bad thing. That is a good thing that I haven't been able to do it. But I want to get this hot topic in this week, so stay tuned to hear what that is and to hear my thoughts. Welcome back now to our final segment here on Talking Tumors. And for our hot topic of the week, I've got a question. Is the NCAA tournament the best way to crown a champion? 
This has been, if you've been on social media these past few weeks, this has been a super, super hot topic. And I'm going to say no, it's not. But that doesn't mean I change it. And I think that's the key here. I, I think if you ask people this question, I think most people would agree with my answer. I think most would say, no, it's not the best way to crown a champion. There are some that would say, yeah, it is. But most would say, but I also don't want to change it. Why don't we want to change it if it's not what, the best way to crown a champion? Because it's super entertaining. And that's what this business is about. That's what college sports, what professional sports is all about. More than anything, it is a, about entertainment. It's about ratings. Sports are an inter, is an entertainment industry. It just is. Even if we don't want it to be, that's what it's all about. So the NCAA tournament isn't going anywhere. If you want to find the best way to crown a champion, then you would do it more based on playoffs like you do in college football or even in the professionals. You do do it based on more if you won your conference. Because in a tournament, anything can happen. Look, just, I mean, look no further than this year's Final Four, which I think, I think is awesome. I love it. But you can't tell me that you really think that, you know, FAU, who has a chance to win a national championship, um, San Diego State, you, UConn, you can make a little bit of an argument for, um, but um, any of those, sorry, I'm trying to think of who uh, the other Final Four team is. It has just left me now. Um, the Miami, sorry, there we go. Uh, you, It's hard for me to, for you to make an argument that those teams are the best team in college basketball. Miami and UConn, you, could, you can make the argument. FAU and San Diego State, I really don't think you can. But those teams all have a chance to win a national championship, and I think that's awesome. I think that is absolutely incredible, and I love the, the NCAA tournament. I wouldn't change it. Uh, I wouldn't change one thing about it. I don't want it to go anywhere. But if we're being honest, no. It is not the best way to crown a champion. The best way is to do a playoff uh, or, you know, to do uh, to do bids. You put in a certain amount of teams, whether you like four, whether you like eight, whether you like 12. Because going back to the matchup point, in a tournament, you, you hear it said over and over again, well, you know, it's all about matchups. It's all about the draws. Who do, who do they have to go through? Who do they have to play? And we'll say, well, it shouldn't matter if you're the best team. Yep, there are teams that you match up better with. So, you know, this team may be better than, you know, so a Texas may be better than uh, a Kansas State, but that doesn't mean that Kansas State is better than Oregon, but Texas plays Oregon, and they lose to, to Oregon because they don't match up as well with them. We say, well, they beat Kansas State, and Kansas State beat Oregon. Yeah, but Kansas State matched up better with Oregon than Texas does. That's just, you know, throwing out an example, and that's how it goes in the tournament. You know, I think Alabama didn't match up extremely well with San Diego State because San Diego State played at a slower pace, a really good defensive team. Alabama has struggled with those type of teams this year. You know, if Alabama gets matched up with other opponents, then maybe that's not the case. You know, maybe they're maybe they're still playing. Maybe they're they are in the Final Four. It, again, it's all about matchups. Think about Auburn last year. Auburn matches up with USC in the round of 32 instead of Miami. Auburn probably at least makes it to the Sweet 16, if not further. It all has to do with uh, matchups. And USC was a higher seed than Miami, so theoretically, USC should be should be a better team. So that's just that's just my point. Uh, uh, there, it, it it is not the the best way, but I wouldn't change it for the world because it is the 
uh, most enjoyable, most entertaining uh, way to crown a champion, and that's what it's all about. It's fun. It's what makes college basketball special. It's what makes college basketball different from every other sport out there. I also saying this, I would not want to have college football use this uh, this format. I wouldn't want an NCAA tournament of college football. Not at all. This is strictly for college basketball. Is what makes college basketball special. Can't we just enjoy it for what it is? Don't try to put this on any other sport. Let's leave it how it is with, with basketball. It's where it should stay. Now, with that being said, I'll do quickly before we get out of here, I'll do a Final Four National Championship prediction here. I think whoever comes out of this UConn-Miami game is going to win the National Championship. I do. I have struggled with that pick. I've been very high on Miami all season. I was not necessarily surprised to see them make it to the Final Four. They can certainly beat UConn, but UConn to me looks like the best team in the country, but nothing has gone as anyone would have would have expected so far in this NCAA tournament. It's always upsets, but this year has been even crazier than most. However, I'm going to go UConn over Miami, and then I'm going to go FAU over San Diego State. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go the nine seed. I'm going to go FAU and UConn. Uh, I, I just think eventually the lack of offense with San Diego State is going to catch up with them. They're great defensively, don't get me wrong, and they've done enough offensively to win to get to the final four and they deserve a lot of credit for that but eventually it's going to catch up to them I think FAU is going to be able to be the team that finally is able to score enough on the San Diego State defense to get the win so then FAU and UConn who would have predicted that matchup in the national championship and now I'm going to go UConn winning it all uh, for this uh, Dan Hurley program I like, they, I mean, they're just a solid team. Got a great shooting, got great defense, uh, really good guard play as well as really good uh, play down low. Uh, I think if they're at their best, no one can beat them that's left in this tournament, if, they, if they're at their best. If not, then yeah, Miami could pull off the upset, and yeah, maybe even a FAU or San Diego State could beat them in a possible national championship. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think UConn is going to win it all. Well, thank you all for tuning in today. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10, which I'm sure we'll have plenty more news to talk about regarding Auburn basketball and Auburn sports thank at, you in for general. listening to Talking Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle and see you next time.